five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Tectonic Podcast, the finest cuts of techno and tech house, destroying dance floors around the globe. Turn it up. Mixed and compiled by Jockster. Welcome to another Tectonic Podcast. Lovers of techno, purveyors of techno, gather round. So welcome to this May edition of your Tectonic Podcast. And what a show we've got lined up for you. Around about two, two and a half hours of music from myself, followed by an interview by Ollie Dons, one of the most prolific producers on the scene at the moment. Artist label management, DJ producer, with over a thousand productions under his belt. Got him coming on later on for a chat. That then is followed by Ollie Dons' one hour mix. Of course, we've got some great music for you. New material from Kaiser Disco, Umek, Drum Complex, Dax J, Victor Ruiz, Pseudo, and we're starting off with this one at the beginning. A track called Springer by Maladen Tonic. You know the drill, guys? Find a knob that says volume. And turn it up. Oh, 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 oh. 
by Matt Cesari and Oscar L. Track called A Different Day. Turn it up.
Where is he? Where is he? 
show. Track from Panpot on Radio Berlin. If you like this, you'll love my fortnightly show on house-techno.com. And there this Friday, from 8 p.m. till 10 p.m., the drive time show. Thereafter, every two weeks. It's house-techno.com.
Fitzpatrick and Wheats, track called M27. Turn this bad boy up.
hour and five minutes. Not taking up a notch or two now. Buckle yourselves in. You're gonna need a bigger boat.
ever reliable Frankie yeah? What a cracking tune this is. Tackle the legend. Turn it up.
chapter is just shaking at the core. Mm. Yeah. And poor Connie, right? I mean, not only does she lose her husband, but she's looking at serious prison time. My God. And then there was that nigger detective. Goddamn colors. <laughs> they sure know how to spoil a celebration. Christ, you gotta say that again. Those goddamn <laughs> colors. They sure know how to spoil a celebration. Can I ask you a question, sir? Shoot. That nigger detective. Did you ever get his name? No. I don't think I. Are uh, you sure you don't know who he is? Alright, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely sure. Cause that nigga, coon, gator bait, spade, spook sambo, spear chucking jungle bunny, Mississippi wind chime wind detective chime? is Ron Stallworth, you racist, peckerwood, redneck, inchworm, needle dick, motherfucker.
the show. We've got about another 20, 25 minutes. We're going to have our very special guest, Ollie Dons. If you like this music, you'll love my show this Friday. Outsidefromtechno.com. Love techno, love tectonic.
Wanna get you anything to drink? Oh uh, yeah, I think it'd be a Coke all around, right? Uh, how, how do you say it in your language? Uh, coca. So we get three Cokes in one. Coca. Four Cokes? Yeah. Look here, Slim. You robbed to support a drug app. I do drugs to support a robbery app. That's harder. That's my job, see? It's you two who's on vacation. So you doubt our credentials? Wall Street, right? Doubt I ain't that. Don't tell me shit? Educated guess. I'm an uneducated man. Well, that's I would be fascinated to hear your thoughts on the matter. Tell me if I'm way off, buddy. You were stockbroker. Maybe a different wife, maybe kids. You stack your paper, but you say shit like work hard, play harder, but you play a little too hard. You rack up debt. The type of debt that make a white man blush. Maybe you get into a little trouble, maybe you get your hand caught in a corporate cookie jar. Maybe you leave and run off to the desert, maybe with your favorite lap dance from the toe. Maybe you disappear into a world consistent of three things. Money, sex, drugs, and action. What's your desk room? This is how I look at it. 
me now, and that'll be wrapping the show up. We head into the interview with Ollie Khan. you enjoyed the show. Certainly enjoyed putting it together for you. Particularly the last 30 minutes. Very dark. Very dirty. I'll see you in about a month's time. Big news. Big, big guest. Next month's Tectonic. All will be revealed. Just go to my Facebook page. Facebook.com. DJ Jogster. Don't forget, you can catch me this Friday on house-techno.com. The Bright Time Show, 8 till 10. Two hours of the finest techno. Last orders at the bar, please.
one up from me then. What a way to end. An absolute bona fide classic. Nothing about you. The act. Enjoy.
now is Ollie Dons. Ollie Dons is one of the most prolific producers of the scene at the moment, with over a thousand productions under his belt. He is the man behind Fat Bass, the track that sampled the Blade music from the rave scene. He's also an artist manager, a label producer, and he's also a DJ. And his show has been listened to over a hundred million times. He truly is a man of many, many talents. We spoke to Ollie Dons on the phone during the week. Hi there, Ollie. Welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, uh, to squeeze us into your uh, very, very busy schedule. Uh, so, how's things going? Have you, have you been busy? Great stuff, great stuff. So so tell me Ollie, you've been in the scene for quite some time now, several decades, and uh, where where and how did it all start for you as an artist? And um, actually, I've been there for 38 years. I started my first tape when I was 14 years old. And I actually started DJing like, at house parties at my mom's place. And my mom was very open-minded, so I invited people on a Sunday afternoon and more and more people came. And then before I rented the transportation because there was too much an extra charge to enter, some people came and I was like, wow, that's a good way to make money to being at school and with fun. And this is how everything actually developed and evolved over the years. And then, like, I think in And then two weeks 
playground, actually. I watched play. Not even still, still not knowing that this is the guy. And then I saw the movie, the Blood Bear scene, and I was like, what the hell is going on? And I really felt like this is a sign. So the next morning, I called one of them and said, like, I need the rights uh, for, for the from, from the order for the pump and this. And actually, they gave me all the rights. And they gave me permission to do it. And then I was like, okay, it's, well, the first version was actually very, very undergroundish. Mm-hmm. And then those were the records, but then we're like, now we need a more commercial version, and then we did a more commercial version, mm-hmm. put the vocals on, and that was set base. This is how set base actually happened. Right, right, right. So d- did you actually get a, a, a post approval from Wesley Snipes and Did he contact you to say you love the track? Uh, actually, I never did this. Um, sometimes I'm a little bit believing in faith, of like maybe it, it will happen at some point, yeah. because a friend of mine actually did the whole the movie for, uh, for, uh, promotion for him and uh-huh. came back to Germany, but uh, we never met again. Oh. I, think he would, I think he would love, uh, would love the story, would love yeah. the story, because yeah. uh, this is something only life can write. It's certainly a very iconic track, and uh, certainly uh, it certainly crossed the genres as well, and was played by a lot of DJs at the time. So, in terms of your production work, you seem quite comfortable balancing commercial success with the underground scenes. Uh, are the lines that clear cut for you, or do you see it as uh, making music that just may happen to gain commercial success? When you approach a production, do you think, right, I want to make a commercial hit, or I'll just make a hit, and if it's commercial, so be it. Yeah, this is pretty much what I did. Like even when I did Pump Up the Jam the first time, it was yeah. played. I did Pump Up the Jam, and it was a pure techno track. Like I like I, I did look the the vocal and the said like and the jam is pumping, and then we did a few just a beat and put underneath, and then the label was again that's a great idea. You need a more commercial mix, and then I cleared the rights from Pickle Smiley from the old version because I did it the first time in 1995. Uh-huh. So it's like 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 too long ago. And they actually liked it, so I got, got the rights for the original vocals. Mm-hmm. And right. then we did this commercial version. Mm-hmm. And until today, not many people knew that the main mix that actually worked was the re- mix done at the scooter studio in Hamburg. Right, right. Uh, um, because my version wasn't commercial enough. But to be honest, I, I love techno, and I always love techno. And I did techno parties already in 1986 when all this music came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always got a text over and over again to more commercial music and all the music and all the, uh, let's say, without sounding arrogant, big records I had, mm-hmm. they were never planned. I never planned that base to be commercial success. I never planned mm-hmm. uh, Pump Up the Gem to be a commercial success. Mm-hmm. And I did some other very commercial right. some People don't even know I'm behind this. Right. And, and this is why in between still do music where I say, like, no, this is not commercial, but I like it. Right, because you've got. I'm actually not producing to do. I am not producing uh-huh. to make it. I produce music I like. So you're a very productive uh, producer as well. Just uh, just tell our listeners how many productions you've had over the years. And because I think I released more or less a thousand tracks commercially. That's incredible. That's an incredible <laughs> output. You must be so. You must be so full of ideas. I mean. Uh, you know, over the decades, that's a, that's a really, really productive run of music. And and when you're in the studio, is it when you're the most happiest, or do you do you prefer the DJing? Uh, to be honest, uh, there was a time when I really loved to be in the studio. Yeah. And to be honest, and then when when like I mean, back then we had like had 20 gigs a month mm-hmm. over years. And to be honest, and uh, I would be a liar to say like, yeah, I'm uh, the best programmer you've ever seen because when you play so much. Like like I did for I don't know how many 
with. Um, of course, the studio skills are lacking. Uh-huh. Because you have to be, you have to, you have to follow up all the time. Yes, I can sit down. Yes, I can do layouts. I can lay down ideas and everything. But, but to be honest, today I would always need somebody who can uh, just do the final touch of what I want. Right, right. It would take if I if I do it, it would take forever. Right. Honest, because like you, you have to stay on point. And I'm not. Uh, I think it's good to to be honest and say like, yes, I need other producers in the meantime to work with me. I'm not trying to say that. Uh-huh. The pros, the pros anyway, no. Uh-huh. All uh-huh. the DJs playing 20, 30 gigs, they have no time to be in the studio. Right, right. And so. and in terms of your label as well, your label, uh, I was reading your bio, has had uh, some uh, some great successes as well. So what future plans do you have moving the, uh, the label forward? Yeah, I mean, this is, like, maybe this is a little bit of the downside of the whole development. I mean, it's, it's as a label, everybody has a label, but nobody makes money unless, like, the ones certain a certain market reach of domination or dominating, like, the Spotify playlist and everything. Um, we are growing, which is nice, but to be honest, like, if you, especially if you do, like, more techno tracks like I do on Kingdom Come Black, they have some tracks, they, they, they maybe make 100 euros. Yeah. It's not even worth the work, but of course, in between, you always have tracks that function, and then they finance the tracks that didn't make money, which was always the case back then. But back then, even the first make more money than sometimes uh, what you could say the hit record today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's, that's, that's a little bit of a shame, but on the other side, again, I do this. I don't have to run labels, but I love to do it. Yeah. Because I love to discover music. I'm, I'm more excited about the music I don't know. Uh-huh. And I, this is why I hate listening to the radio over and over again. This is why I'm not a big fan of all of these playlists. Uh-huh. I want to discover music. And I'm still doing my radio show myself. The mix for you, I selected the music. I don't have anybody doing this for me uh-huh. because I'm excited. And if I check my promos and there's a track I love, I sometimes listen to this track 10 times, 20 times in a row. Mm-hmm. Blast the speakers up and love it because this is the excitement about music to, to mm-hmm. know and figure mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. what's out there. And that comes across, as I always say, yeah, um, uh, Ollie, music is the answer, and it always has been. <laughs> so you're also you're also doing some artist management as well. Tell me uh, how that started for you, and uh, what what do you look for when you're signing artists? Who which artists are on your roster at the moment? Um, for the moment, I'm I'm, the, I'm managing with my friend Bess from Umbrella. Uh, we do uh, Lady Palmer. Uh, right. I would say she's one of the fastest growing female techno DJs around. Uh-huh. Incredible the success. Mm-hmm. Then I'm actually having a top uh, top uh, 30 uh, artists or top 30 on the Forbes list. Right. She is one of the most successful DJs under 30 according to the Forbes list in Asia. It's a completely different genre because I do not want to manage talents from the same genre because I feel their the interests can collide and clash. Mm-hmm. Because I want to give every artist the full support and obviously uh, as I've been in this business for such a long time, and knowing I'll become a dad, I, I, I just realized mm-hmm. being a dad means I will, I will reduce playing, and there's nothing better to use my knowledge and support to talent, mm-hmm. because I, I know any contract, I know the business inside out. I can, I'm, I'm afraid to, uh, to say that. Mm-hmm. I know it inside out, so I can give a lot of good advice, and mm-hmm. we get, uh, I, I get so many requests to manage, but mm-hmm. I want to keep two artists and maybe a third one that says I don't want to have one. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I love to actually discover them and put them up from the beginning. Right, right. I, I, I'm not interested in getting an artist that comes, oh, I have a number one record, you want to find me. Uh-huh. This is not what I want. I, I, I have a passion to actually be like Lily. I picked her up right. before she she was, she was into, crazy into music. Right. But this was the progress from zero to where we are now in such a short time. Right. And this is organic. And yeah. this is not fake. This is, like, this is what I like to do. Uh-huh. And and I we I have a different approach. I, I call it a little bit like more on the human side because by being in the business and seeing a lot of tragedy with famous artists being pushed in a position that I don't want to be in. So for me it's very helpful that I actually give artists a personal guidance psychologically mm-hmm. to say like is that really what you want? Do you want twenty gigs a month? Yeah. So I would never ever push an artist just for money for the sake of making money. Right. It must fit. It must fit to the personality, and this is why I think the two artists we have are extremely happy. We uh-huh. just offered to sign a lifetime deal uh-huh. um, because I, I think this is what I what I realized, and this is what happened to me myself. I mean, I was taking any gig, and I was sometimes 200 to 300 flights per year. Right. And I was like, at, at some point, I was like, do I want this? Yeah. No, I don't. Do I want my artists to feel the same? No, yeah. I don't. So yeah. I talk to them. Yeah, and that and that sounds that sounds very healthy given what's happened with uh, Avicii. Uh, you know, it's quite exactly. apparent. I, mean, I knew him from from the way when he started. Yeah, that's why I still uh, he did the remix for me, and I saw the beginning, and I saw uh, yeah. like even meeting in the beginning, he never wanted to be exposed yeah. to this kind of stuff and all. Yeah. Yes, and there are other examples, but they're lucky to be and and actually left. Producer, right, right. But you need, you need to be, you must be born to be on stage. You can't yeah. force somebody to do this. I love no. to be on stage. Yeah, yeah. I love. Yeah. And I will never hate to do that. Yeah. So I can do it. But if you don't like things like that, and nobody helps you, nobody talks to you, and nobody looks into the artist's heart, yeah. it's really hard because, like, what people always forget. I think that there, is not, there are not many genres uh, that are based on daily rejection. Yes. Like, like artists all the time, they front the situation that people are rejecting them. And even if you're successful and you had 100 million streams of a single, and the next single only had uh, 60 million streams, for me, amazing, but it's rejection because it didn't work as good, the follow up single. And this is what people really don't really understand. They were like, oh, you still have 60 million. It's not about the 60 million, it's about the feeling that is being caused mm-hmm. by what you creatively have mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds you've certainly got your artist's uh, best intentions uh, at heart. In terms of the actual scene right now, I mean, obviously in the in the uh, the 90s and the noughties, we had a very inflated scene with the super clubs, and obviously that 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 bubble burst. And obviously techno is a very big scene at the moment. It's filling huge stadium and and uh, huge. Uh, festivals uh, etc and DJs are pulling in very large crowds do you see uh, the techno bubble bursting in the future uh, because it seems to be incredibly uh, a really really big 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 scene probably the biggest scene second only to EDM in, in, in the industry at the moment can, can you see any pitfalls coming up ahead um, to be honest, I mean, techno has always been there and not like EDM so much I mean EDM wasn't American mind, it's a trademark or brand 
and it, it works in the way it has been presented because of the energy it costs. And I think uh, compared to that, and you see what the EDMC did, they have been quite supportive to the techno mm-hmm. scene as well, which I think a lot of people from the techno scene would hate reading or listening to what I just said. But they opened the market to these super festivals about the energy, but the extension span yeah. on the EDM scene, like uh, we played tomorrow in our first and we played the EDM festivals, and then at the end we played like 30 to 40 tracks in an hour, some even played more. This has nothing to do really with the, with the art of DJ. Yeah. And I mean, we are at War Brothers, we're coming from the hard scene, and I love to play six minutes of a track and build oh. up an atmosphere. Yeah. And this is where I, why I think the techno is the same. You build up a story, you send people on a trip mm. rather than bombarding them with energy flash every 30 seconds. So I think techno will last much longer. Mm-hmm. Maybe the peak will reach mm-hmm. and it will consolidate a little bit at a lower level because there are some techno DJs get the same amount as the big EDM DJs, always like close to. But uh-huh. I think it will never die down no. in the way no. the end die down. I think yeah. this is not going to happen. Yeah, I certainly think it's it's definitely one of those mu- uh, music genres that mutate and change, and it's constantly yeah. keeping you on its toes with the different types of uh, techno and the different types of artists within within the scene. So, in terms of uh, producers, I mean, what advice? I mean, you've obviously got a wealth of experience. What advice would you give to aspiring uh, producers uh, these days? I mean, if you want, I want to really have uh, the aim to make it somewhere, you have to be fully aware that this is a full-time job. Right. Unless you are a genius, but even if you are a genius, it's still a full-time job. Right. And then, of course, as always, it's like a little bit stereotyping, but don't imitate, innovate. Uh-huh. Be original, don't like, don't do whatever, do or at least come up with smart concepts and uh-huh. have an idea uh-huh. and become a brand. Branding uh-huh. is so important. Like, like people always like, yes, I'm an artist. I know so many great artists and they, they, they struggle to pay rent. And I know people, they're not as good as they are, but they, they understand the concept of business. Uh-huh. The concept of business is you're selling a brand. Yeah. That, that a DJ can be a brand. And if you see the most successful DJs became a brand. And yeah. this is how they treat themselves as a brand. Yeah. And of course, music is only essential, but sometimes when I look to the top Spotify players, you know, you doubt the quality at that time uh-huh. because people are listening to their own same template or algorithm doing music over and over again. And this is why I still have to stay in genres mm-hmm. that are not dominated by the system right. because I don't mind I know where I get my good music. And, right. uh, so, yeah, but this is very essential. Like, really, you have to reinvent yourself. Right. You have to ask yourself, who am I? What is good and special about me? What is it what I'm selling? Just the answer, good music. That has never been enough, by the way. Uh-huh. Even like 40 years ago, good yeah. music was not a safe argument. Yeah. Say. yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly, it certainly feels with the advent of social media and the platforms available to DJs now, it is about identity and about believing yourself and build, building a brand. It's not just about the music. Uh, you have to do more than that. You have to reach out, I think, and uh, uh, the old traditional ways of networking, but social media gives DJs and producers a platform 
now that was wasn't available for them 15 years ago uh, and, and and that's available to everybody so the competition is far more fierce uh, now than it ever has been so I think from what you're saying there that sounds like very good timely advice so uh, Ollie we come into the end of the interview there I just wanted to pull out a completely yeah. random question here for you so uh, if you could go back in time uh, 20 years what advice would you have given yourself uh, uh, back 20 years ago uh, with the benefit of hindsight? Learn to say no. That is the advice I would have given you. Learn to say no. It's very, very important. Yes. Learn to say no. That's a that's a great way to end an interview. Then, well, Ollie, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, it's been a very interesting interview, uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for uh, sharing your experience uh, with us. We're just about to segue into your mix there. So, uh, whatever you're doing tonight, uh, Ollie, uh, stay safe, uh, keep at it, and uh, yeah, once again, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Yeah.
Walk on me, 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 walk on me